Honor is, is one of the values of this house. So let's stand to our feet as we honor our senior pastor, Pastor Heather Schott. My, my favorite part of that whole thing was she is stronger than her husband. I was like, man, if truth is going to be spoken this morning, and maybe it'll set him free too to admit it. No, I think he would admit it. I think, I think he might admit it. But you know what? He's preaching uh, first Sunday back in Fort Worth, and he got his wisdom teeth. Pulled last week. So all as we're receiving this morning, just be interceding for him. Yeah, we'll give him a little credit of being tough because I was praying over him last night that he would be able to move his mouth fully <laughs> to preach two services this morning. Look, I am so excited to be here with you this morning. Uh, every time I walk into this tent and I worship with you radical Waco Onions, I made it up. I have so much joy. I, every, every time I walk in here, I'm in tears, I am beaming, I am looking around at this room in a 108 degree summer, consistently coming, serving, jumping, worshiping, you are radical. And I wanted to let this group know you have our heart, forever and we will never forget the days in the tent there will be beautiful memories stories told of dripping in sweat and kneeling in a carpet and having dirt on your knees when you got up or made your back aches because of it's a concrete floor all of it and so i just wanted to honor this group this morning i wanted to honor the first fruits uh, when, that, when that building opens, watch, it's going to be packed pretty quick. And people wait for comfort to say they worship Jesus. They wait for comfort, comfort. They wait for the right circumstance. They wait for when it's good for them, when it's comfortable for them. And so I just, I wanted to come and honor this group this morning that has been faithful and you know when you're faithful, when you make it through the extreme Texas weather, from windstorms, I've heard about the rivers that have come through here in the rain, from the freezing temperatures to the like Arizona desert heat temperatures, you guys are radical. Can you just give yourself a round of applause? It's honor, it's honor. Show honor where honor is due. And then I also just felt a faith uh, leap in me when I walked into the, uh, into the tent uh, this morning for us to pray over the building and over the workers. And so would you just kind of twist? I know you've been on your feet for a little bit. Will you twist and just put your hands towards the building over there? Huh. Holy Spirit, this is the year you spoke of Deutimus power. So Lord, we ask for your Deutimus power 
to fill every worker, every contractor. I declare that every single company that is to be sending pieces and parts, Lord, from UPS truck, trucking people to delivery people, Lord, I pray your dutamous power to anoint them to finish the work of the temple. Lord, I was reading last night about Solomon and how fire came down when the temple was restored, when it was rebuilt. Lord, today we are leaning into that space. We are building. We are building a house for your glory to dwell. We are building a place for people to come from the north, south, east, and west, comfortable or not, Lord. Let's, Father, our heart is to bring them in so that you would radically change them, so that you would deliver them, so that you would set them free. So, Father, we pray for your anointing to come to anoint the workers. Anoint the laborers, Father. Today we extend our faith and we say whatever whatever stoppages whatever delays that there has been spiritually we say go in Jesus mighty name you have all solutions you are the miracle working king so Lord we ask for miracles signs and wonders to finish building the temple to finish building your house we declare let it be done in Jesus mighty name amen Amen. I want to just quickly honor um, your pastors uh, because it's right back at him, all the things that he said to me. If you are new, we have been pretty much best friends for 18 years. And talk about joy. It is also one of our greatest joys to fulfill almost 20 years, 20 plus years of prophetic words that literally came into this atomic bomb moment in time for God's will to be done in and through our lives together. It is a joy to lead with them. And I want to say this because it's special about your pastors. Not many people can call their best friends pastors. Not many people can submit and take the hard things from their best friends. This means that you have extremely humble and righteous pastors that desire one thing, what is right in the eyes of the Lord, what pleases him. And so uh, real quick, I couldn't move on into the message, but can we just also give another hand of applause in honor for your pastors this morning? I said, I said to Landon the other night, they're going to teach people this. You're going to teach on honor. And I don't know if the revelation has already begun, uh, but the revel new revelations of honor, you have walked it out without fully, and I know you both understand honor biblically, but there's new revelation that's coming. And I literally see prodigal sons and daughters. I see the rebellious. I see those that have been hurt by church and haven't wanted to come to church. And in humility, you both teaching them the principle of honor. And through that revelation, their hearts being healed towards the house of the Lord, to pastors and to God. So Lord, I pray let that revelation flow. I pray that they would teach it confidently yet in humility and that you would bring sons and daughters back to this house, back to the house of God.
that have been hurt. I declare it as a healing balm. I know it's already been prophesied over this house many times, but I just feel the Lord saying again, this is a house of healing. Healing is going to flow from Mercy Culture Waco. So Lord, we say, let it be done in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I am excited uh, to be preaching a message called Repentance Prepares the Way. I love the some, somewhat excitement, somewhat excitement. Uh, repentance isn't one of those words that uh, publishers are like, yes, this is going to be a New York bestseller, this book on repentance. Uh, they're, they're not usually the video sermons that are watched the most amount of times. It's like, I am excited to listen to an hour on repentance. But I, I am believing that by the end of this message, your heart is going to be shifted and transformed towards repentance. We're going to open up with this scripture, Revelation 2, 2 through 5. And I'm going to read it out of the NLT version first. It says this. So I said Revelation, right? You heard me say Revelation. So this is Jesus speaking to an end time church. It says, I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you once did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Will you pray with me this morning? Holy Spirit, we say come. We say inhabit this place. We know that you're here, but would you completely inhabit us? Would you inhabit our minds? Would you inhabit our hearts? Would you inhabit our spirit men and women so that our ears would be attentive to hear what you are saying this morning so our spirit eyes would be awakened to be able to receive what you are saying to us this morning? Lord, I pray that you would prepare us as the end time church, bold, fearless, humble and repentant, ready for your return. So this morning we declare what Samuel said, speak Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' mighty name we say amen. So I believe that there is a wave of repentance that is coming to the church. First time I ministered this message at Fort Worth campus, I was studying and preparing the week before and I kept feeling this and hearing from the Holy Spirit, a wave of repentance is coming to the church. And right then, an old friend had texted me right as I was praying. And she reminded, she said, Heather, I just had to reach out to you and text you. I don't know what's going on. I saw that you were ministering. But she said, I was reminded of what you said to me years ago. And I felt the Lord write it at the top of my planner for this month that repentance paves the way for reformation. 
and she said, it just began to ring in me this week where I have, I have been praying before the Lord, Lord, bring us back to a place of repentance. See, Acts 3, 19 through 20 says this, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah. So Acts is saying, for the Messiah to be called to return, the church must turn back to repentance so that what? So that what Matthew 3, 8 and 10 says, that she would produce fruit then in keeping with repentance. Right after that, it says that in verse 10, the ax lies ready at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. This is prophesying of when Jesus is coming back. It means that when he is coming back, he is looking for fruitful Christians. And fruitful Christians does not mean nice cars, best-selling books. It does not mean big houses, successful businesses. This is not what Jesus is returning to look for in his church. I preached a message on this marked weekend and I, I, I struggled uh, with ministering it that weekend because I knew it was a message for the body of Christ, not just for women. But it was called this, be ready. And it was on the, the deception of what the church thinks good fruit is right now. I encourage you to look up this message and to listen to this message because the Bible specifically says that when he returns, he's coming to inspect your fruit. Not just my fruit. He's coming to inspect your fruit. And the Bible says that the way that you bear good fruit is in keeping with repentance. It's wild because you don't see the church preaching on repentance often. Yet it is the very key, the Bible says, to producing good fruit. Let's go back to this opening scripture. Let me lay some groundwork. There are 22 chapters in Revelation. In chapter 2 and chapter 3, what I opened with is Jesus speaking to John. If you notice, it's the red words. It's Jesus' words. He is speaking to John the Apostle. And he is saying, I am bringing warnings for these seven churches. It would be important if we truly believe that we are in end times. We may not know where because nobody knows the hour of his return. But that we would pay attention to some of Jesus' last words rebuking the body of Christ. And so this is what we see when I read Revelations 2, 4 through 5, this is just one of the churches he is, he is rebuking. And this is the church of Ephesus. And I'm going to read it again, but I'm going to read it in the BSB version. Because in verse 2, he begins to say all of the amazing things that they're doing. And when you read it, it reminds me of mercy culture. He says, uh, you haven't grown weary. You have persevered and endured many things for the sake of my name. He says, I know you can't tolerate those who are evil. You have tested and exposed as liars those who falsely claim to be apostles. What? There is no false teaching in with you. There is a standard within you. 
It sounds like mercy culture. But then he warns, I have this against you. You have abandoned your first love. Feel goosebumps. You know, Mercy Culture Waco, we cannot be so radical in our worship, so radical in our faith, so radical to share the gospel on the streets, to bring truth, to bring righteousness, to bring justice. I'm preaching to myself right now that we forget our first love and that we become angry Christians mad at the world, mad at the lost, ruining our schools, ruining our neighborhoods, ruining everything around us. And this is the type of language that is the beginning to hardening a passionate church that begins to withdraw us from a true love for him and for his people. This is what he begins uh, to, oh, I just lost my place. This is what he begins to warn the church. I felt that this was specifically for mercy culture this morning. There's going to be multiple moments. I just want to pause here for a second. There's going to be multiple moments through the service this morning where a thing called conviction is going to hit you. Because when you preach on repentance, the Holy Spirit begins to move. And he's going to begin to move in you in areas that maybe you have not confessed your sin. Maybe you have not repented for. This is a beautiful thing. This is God wooing you to him to make you right with him. Causing you to become more, more intimate with him. This is not condemnation. Condemnation, if it comes, will cause you to want to run, to want to turn off, to want to separate yourself from Christ. But if you feel a wooing, if you feel a conviction, even as I'm sharing this this morning, that you're like, man, she is talking this morning about losing a first love. Do I love him like when I first met him? Do I worship him like when I first met him? Am I growing more in love with him or have other things begin to replace my love for him? Look, your time, your money, where you use your gift and talents, first, second, and third will show you your love for Christ if he's first or not. It will show you, hey, you know what? I'm going to wait on tithe. I'm going to wait on offering after I get these things that I need and want. He's not your first love. You know what? I'm going to go do these other projects I'm really passionate about, and then I'll let the church know when I'm ready to serve around my time frame. You know what you're telling him? Lord, your house is my last priority. And these are the ways slowly we begin to replace, or what the Bible says, abandon our first love. Or here's another one. This is a really good one because I feel like there's also a call of evangelism on this house. Is I'm in the grocery store, but I'm in a rush, and I know I just heard you, Holy Spirit, to pray for that person right now. But I got A, B, and C to go get to. So would you speak to me at another time that I have more time? Can I tell you, he will test you if you really love him first. He will ask you things when it's inconvenient. 
When your money was set aside for something else and he tells you to give it all. When your time was going towards something else to get it done, but he says, no, sacrifice it. Lay it at the altar. Give your time to build my house. He will begin to shake up the things within us, the selfishness and all those things to say, am I really your first love? Are my sons and daughters really your first love? Revelations 2, 7 says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. So I pray that as I minister this morning, you would hear what the Holy Spirit has to say to you. You are the church. Sitting in here this morning, you are the church. So I pray, Revelations 2, 7, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. And I just declare that you would have moments that if you feel conviction of the Holy Spirit, you don't need to wait for an altar call. This isn't a religious ceremony. You can whisper right there to him at any point. Jesus, forgive me. Make you my first love. This is the second thing I want to bring to your attention this morning. When I say repentance prepares the way of the Lord, I'm talking about Jesus' return. Many of you cannot grasp this because you love this life too much. You love his blessings that he's given you more than the blesser of life. And to minister to an end time church, to really receive the messages that have been prepared and prayed into from an encounter room, from places with the Lord, it means that you have to come in from places of encounters with the Lord, with your heart ready to do a surgery. I've heard many Christians say, man, I know, I've heard that we're in end time, that Jesus could come back, and I've heard these songs crying out for the Lord to come, come Lord, come Lord. But man, I just don't know if I'm there yet. Like, I have these things I want to do here. I have this I want to accomplish. I have this I want to birth. I love this life too much. Can I tell you, he's not your first love then. John the Baptist, this, this scripture has been stirring in me and Pastor Vanessa has been praying it the last month. It's in John. John 3, 29 through 30. Listen to this. John is baptizing, yet Jesus comes onto the scene. And when Jesus comes onto the scene, multiple people begin running to Jesus for Jesus to baptize them. There is this argument that comes up, and all of a sudden, John's disciples begin to say to him, Look, that man you were telling us about, all of your followers. Sounds like the jealousy and envy today on Instagram. All of your followers are heading to him. John, don't you care? They're leaving you and they're going to him. John's response makes me want to weep every time I read it. This is the cry of a bride that is preparing herself for his return. John says the bride belongs to the bridegroom. 
The friend of the bridegroom stands and listens for him and is overjoyed to hear the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it's now complete that he must increase and I must decrease. This is your response if you are a true bride made ready that you cannot wait. You have been preparing yourself for your first love, the one you adore with everything within you, the one that has set you free, gave his life to save you, deliver you, bless you. Bride, why would you not desire? Come, Lord, come. Ah, like Revelation declares, the spirit and the bride declare, come, Lord, come. Can I just tell you this morning that I love everything God is doing through Mercy Culture. I love how he has blessed this house. I love how he has personally blessed me. But don't get it crooked. I don't love this. I don't love doing this. I don't love all that he's given me so much that it causes me to backpedal in my adoration and my love and my desire to be with him for all eternity. We have to be a bride that declares, Lord, come, Lord, come. Waiting, expectant waiting ready. The next church I felt like I was supposed to bring up is a little less personal than I felt the first one was directed for mercy culture. The next one is the church of Pergamum. And I believe that what Jesus is addressing through John in this portion of scripture, it is what is taking place in the church as a whole right now through all the different denominations, but it is important as your pastor that we consistently bring truth and clarity because I understand that as even though you come and you receive here on a Sunday, that you probably listen to podcasts, that you probably listen to other preachers and other teachers. And it is very important, the Bible talks and it warns us of false teachings that will cause Christians to fall away from the true gospel. So I want to teach on this. It says this, but I have a few things against you because some of you hold on to the teaching, say the teaching, the teaching of Balaam who taught, say who taught, Balak to place a stumbling block before the Israelites. He's talking about a teaching that caused the Israelites to fall so that they would eat food sacrificed to idols and commit sexual immorality. He says this in verse 16, therefore repent, otherwise I will come to you shortly and I will wage war against them with the sword of my mouth. Jesus is warning this church and saying, there are false teachings that are coming as your stumbling block that will cause you to turn towards false idols or sexual immorality. It is going to say what is good is evil and what is evil it is good. It is going to begin to declare what the flesh or what the itching ears want to hear. It's going to make you feel so much better about your life all of the sudden instead of kneeling in repentance and thinking, man, I'm good. 
Man, my friend's struggling over there. They're good. I don't need to preach the gospel. That preacher said the lifestyle they're living in is okay. It's this holiness message. It's old fashioned. This repentance message is old fashioned. Just love. Can I tell you, love tells the truth. Love says, I love you so stinking much. I don't want to see you go to eternity in hell. I love you so much. I want to spend eternity with you in heaven. So these are Jesus' words. Ah, Warning an end time church of false teaching and specifically on sexual immorality. You want to know what I believe that the more of this lawlessness, the more of this false, false teaching and things that we are seeing rising, the greater the craving for holiness. I believe the greater of the hunger for holiness that we have ever seen. I preached a message called Lawless Ones, and I said, as lawlessness arises, so will the supernatural. Well, as lawlessness rises, so will holiness. The desire and hunger for holiness. And this is what the Bible says for those of you that have been crying out in holiness, holiness, return to our schools, return to our nation, return to households. I want to tell you, Revelations 22, 10 through 13 says this, the time is near. Let the unrighteous continue to be unrighteous. The vile continue to be vile. Let the righteous continue to practice righteousness and the holy continue to be holy. I wanted to encourage you, Mercy Culture Waco, this morning, continue in your righteousness. Continue in the pursuit of holiness. Continue. Do not let a trap, do not let a pitfall, do not let a stumbling block block come before you to take you out at the perfect timing for the enemy. Don't stop living like and for Jesus. And don't let the world around you change your love for him and desire to be like him. Because he says in verse 12, behold, I'm coming soon. And my reward is with me to give according to each one that he has done. Ah, see, this is a type and shadow of John the Baptist who was sent prior to prepare the way for the Messiah, preaching repentance. And now here he is speaking to John the Apostle to say, warn the end time churches, for I am coming. Call them to repentance. This morning I came to tell you that repentance prepares the way. So there are four layers to repentance. There are not different definitions of repentance that conflict with each other, but repentance is a complex word because there are layers to it. There are multiple forms of this word in the Greek. These are the four we're going to go over this morning. One, repentance prepares the way to grieve sin. If you need notes, you can text notes uh, to the number that's on the screen or notes to 59090 to pull up because I'm going to have scripture for you this morning. One, repentance prepares the way to grief sin. Two, repentance prepares the way for salvation and joy. Three, repentance prepares the way for true covenant with Jesus. And four, repentance prepares the way for the return of Jesus. So let's get into this. Repentance prepares the way to grief sin. Hmm. Repentance prepares the way 
for grieving sin, not just in our life, but also the church and our nation. You have been praying, right? The three things, three times a day, praying for America, praying for the church, praying for the family unit. A way that you can pray for those things is by repenting. Repenting for America's sin. Repenting for the church's sin. And repenting for what's taking place in families right now. So this word to repent, the first definition is this. It means to pan or to sigh. The Hebrew word for it is naham. I'm going to try to get this word right. Pastor Les would get it right because he's way better with some of this vocabulary than I am. But it is an automatopoetic term. I got it. Okay. And, and I wanted to pass, actually I did pass over saying that in the Fort Worth campus. I was like, no, I'm not going to go there. And then when I preached this at Spanish campus, because the Lord keeps saying release, I, release this message. I'm not going to say what I was just going to say, because it's a revelation. Release this message of repentance to all of the campuses. What that means is that it is a word that imitates sound. It means that repentance is a sound. When it's an onomopoetic term, it means that repentance cannot be silent. It's wild because many of us, when we don't hear a specific sound coming from the church, uh, more, more than us even hearing, I believe heaven is, is listening. And, and it's on the edge of heaven thinking, man, am I listening to a cry from the earth? It, can, can I hear the sound of repentance or is, is there, are they silent? And the Bible says that Jesus is waiting to hear this sound from us. And then, and, and the description declares it like this, that it, impli- it, it implies difficulty in breathing. That literally when you begin to repent truly and release this sound, there will be a difficulty in breathing. Hence, uh, to pant, to sigh, to groan, or to growl that of a lion. Naturally, it also came to signify to lament or to grieve. And when the emotion was produced by the desire of good for others, meaning they were grieving other sin, it emerged into compassion and sympathy. And when incited by a consideration of one's own character and deeds, it means to rue or to repent. Can I tell you that it's an okay thing if your emotion leads you to groan and to grieve? SLS got a little tripped up on this last year. (laughs) I got thumbs up. That when I was encouraging for a groan to emerge and we begin to practice muscles that aren't normally used as a 2023 body of Christ, we begin to groan, we begin to grieve, we begin to cry out. And there was a few that wanted to sit there on the sidelines and watch. Can I tell you that Revelation also talks about in end times, after all of the things that God is going to bring to try to awaken so that all would come to salvation, that it says it will still be those that will not groan or repent. I'd encourage you this morning not to be the one that thinks it's dumb because your mind, just like when you got filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and the enemy started saying, you sound like a fool. You're making this up. 
Come on, I heard those lies. Most people hear those lies because the enemy doesn't want you with his weapons, with God's weapons. Repentance is a weapon that keeps you in unity with the Lord. You're going to begin to groan and growl today. You're going to begin to weep in repentance today. And in that prayer closet, with your children, with your spouse, and those attacks are going to come. And I would encourage you this morning, lean all the way more in and say, I will cry, I will growl, I will groan all the more until it sounds like a lion. And it brings fear into the enemy's camp. See, this was Peter right after he denied Jesus. Don't you remember after he denied Jesus? It says, the Bible says that he went and he wept bitterly. It doesn't just say he went and cried a few tears. The Bible says he went and he wept bitterly. He released a sound of repentance. But here's the problem, church, that this is just the beginning of true repentance. And most of us haven't even begun here. This is the beginning. I want to ask you this morning, not to condemn you, but so that you lean in with me, so you don't amen me religiously. When was the last time you stopped to weak and you broke down over the sin that you committed? When was the last time you humbly came to your spouse, your teenagers, or your toddlers, and you wept in repentance? Or were you defending yourself and you're right? Or did you humble yourself and repent? When was the last time scrolling on social media that you stopped and you saw babies being mutilated, children being mutilated through gender surgeries? When was the last time you saw babies being murdered and you stopped, not in mockery, can I tell you that mockery is a sound that heaven doesn't receive? Repentance is. And this is another way to harden the body of Christ's heart is that we begin to see so much sin around us that we begin to harden and mock instead of repent. Repentance is the sound that heaven responds to. When was the last time? Because I'm telling you this morning, Jesus is not responding to a silent church. And we are bold. But we can't be bold without repentance. Or we become pharmaceutical. We become like the Pharisees, so driven in us being right. Without humility and repentance leading the way. This is the second way. Repentance prepares the way for salvation and joy. This term in the Greek is shuv. It most generally employed to express the scriptural idea of genuine repentance. It is used extensively by the prophets and makes prominent the idea of radical change in one's attitude towards sin and God. It implies a conscious moral separation and a personal decision to forsake sin and to enter into fellowship with God. It is employed extensively with reference to man's turning away from sin and righteousness. It means this, to repent and return. I tell you this morning that salvation needs repentance and repentance needs confession of our sin. 
Hear me this morning, what I said. Some of you may say, I've been saved for 10 years. I've been saved for 30 years. Did you repent and confess of old sin? See, many of us are given this little prayer. Jesus, come into my heart. I love you. You have my life. Amen. And it's void of repentance. And then we're Christians walking this life in bondage. Still the bondage of yesterday. The Bible says that when you confess your sins is when he forgives them and sets you free. Let's go look. 1 John 1, 8 through 10 says, if we have no sin, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. I think that this is a huge revelation for the body of Christ. Because many of us say, I mean, I love Jesus with all of my heart. I gave my life years ago, but I am struggling with the same sin. And I hear the enemy constantly telling me, I am going to struggle with this forever. Have you out loud confessed your sin? There was moments and years the Lord had set me free. I am married to my husband after drug addiction, stealing all of these crazy things that I did for years. And I remember there would be these moments. I, we're youth pastors and we move and I'm hanging up my clothes. And all of a sudden the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes on me and says, give every piece of clothing that you stole in your previous life before me away. And I don't even realize, you guys, I am hanging up stolen clothing from my previous life. I mean, I had garbage bags for these girls. Give them away. I got saved. I fell in love with Jesus and didn't pause to confess every sin feel the Holy Spirit right now. Many of you this morning say, but I thought Jesus, he sends it into that sea of forgetfulness. He will when you confess it. He will. The other huge pitfall with this is people say, man, I don't want to dig up that stuff. Life is so much better now. Can I tell you, I'm going to minister this at the end. Jesus is faithful to go to those places with you. You are not digging up those things on your own. And shame does not need to come on you. Condemnation does not need to go on you. But I tell you what, the enemy is going to pull those things from the carpet at his most opportune time to shame and condemn you right before you step out in faith. But do you know he has nothing against you when you bring it all out to the light with him? Because you've confessed, you've repented, and he is just to forgive and cleanse you. To encourage those that might be feeling the weight of this scripture right now. This is beautiful in 2 Peter 3.9. It says this, that the Lord is not slow concerning his promise. As some count slowness, but is patient with us. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This is so beautiful because he said he's patient. 
It means he's been waiting on you, son and daughter, for this day to say, okay, I'm, I'm willing to go back with you to those, I've been waiting, I've been waiting all those years that you say you've been saved, but you've been in this stronghold. I have been patiently waiting with this moment to go there with you and to set you free. See, we all have sin to repent of. And as we repent, he is faithful to cleanse us. This is why after we uh, get saved, we get baptized. Being baptized signifies the cleansing and the washing away of our old selves and now the coming out as our new self. See, repentance cleanses us and it produces holiness. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 and 7 through 10. Go there with me. This is a powerful portion of scripture. And this is Paul speaking. He says, therefore, beloved, since we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that defiles body and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I love this. I do not regret it. <laughs> I now see that my letter caused you sorrow. Can I just pause here for a second? Sermons and messages that are truth should cause you sorrow. They should all cause us sorrow because to spiritually grow, when you grew as a child, do you remember the growing pains that you had? All of a sudden your knees would ache because your legs were growing. When you spiritually grow, there's going to be some painful moments and days because God is beginning to make the crooked ways in you straight. So he says, I don't regret causing you sorrow. And this is beautiful. Then he comes and he encourages because it's only for a short time. And now I rejoice, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you felt the sorrow that God had intended. Does God intend you that sorrow? Yes, he does. It's just another word for conviction. He doesn't want you in a depression. He doesn't want you oppressed. He does not want you feeling condemned, but he wants you feeling a godly sorrow that woos you and draws you back into that place of repentance to be forgiven. Because it says in verse 10, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Oh, this is going to minister to some of you this morning that Pastor Les said you brought in all of your worries and all of your concerns, all of your regrets, all of your stresses. For godly sorrow brings a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. True repentance will have godly sorrow. Godly sorrow produces repentance. That repentance leads to salvation and salvation brings joy. Did you notice what the title of 2 Corinthians 7 was? It is Paul's joy over the church's repentance. I know I just ministered that repentance is about grieving sin, but repentance is also about the joy of the Lord. For in 2 Corinthians, it says that Paul said, now I rejoice because your sorrow led to repentance. So what now you have been saved for those things, from those things. Have you ever been a part of a baptism? Here's the picture that I had when the Lord was giving me this, this part. 
You've ever been to a baptism and you have all these people around the tank. You have family, you have friends, you have the pastors, you, you have these people, you have the kids or you have the parents of the kids and everybody's like this. And there is this, there is this joy, there is these tears of joy that's coming down their face and they go down, I have goosebumps, and when they come up, it is, they are lit with joy and the family and the friends, they are lit with joy, why? Because they turned from their old ways. They have been cleansed through repentance and made new in Jesus. Repentance brings joy, which leads me to number three. Repentance prepares the way for true covenant with Jesus. And this is the story in Luke 15. I love it so much. The parable of the prodigal son. We're going to be in verse 11 through 31. I'm going to paraphrase for you. There is a man who had two sons. And the younger son said, I want my inheritance now. When he desired his inheritance, the father gives him his inheritance. And the Bible says that he runs off and in wild living and partying and everything, he spends it all. He wastes it all. And he finds himself after he squanders everything in a pig pen. Verse 14 says this, after he had spent all that he had, a severe famine swept through that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. Verse 16, oh, how he longed to fill his belly with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one would give him a thing. I wanna pause here. I wanna encourage you this morning. That hunger for Jesus is a beautiful thing, but you don't have to get to a pig pen moment. You don't have to get to a place where everything has been squandered. Everything has been way to a place that you are finding yourselves in the depths and the lows of disgust and the consequences of sin to have to cry out in hunger for Jesus. But to be in desperation and a violent hunger for Jesus when everything is good. When all your bills are paid. When your children love Jesus. Ah, when his presence is near. And I can't stop hungering for more of him. Every single day, Jesus, I have to have more of you. Do you know what the response is? Let me read to you. First, it says this. This is beautiful because this is what hunger will do that America needs. Verse 17, finally, he came to his senses. Lord, bring common sense back. Finally, he came to his senses. And he said, how many of my father's hired servants have plenty of food? But here I am starving. I will get up and go back to my father and say to him, or what? Repent to him. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And listen to this response, church, because some of you are sitting out there this morning feeling potentially like a prodigal son that loves him but has fallen away and needs a savior and needs a father with open arms. See, your repentance repairs the way for this response. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still in the distance, his father saw him 
and he was filled with compassion. See, the enemy tells you every time you make a mistake, you're dirty, you're disgusting, you've done this, God wants nothing to do with you. Really, you're going to bring this thing up to him again? And you think, I can't bring this sin up. I've asked forgiveness for over and over. I've repented over. He doesn't want me anymore. No, but his son had left him, squandered everything. Can you imagine what he must look like? He has nothing. He picks himself up out of the pig pen, and he begins to run back. Can you imagine? Imagine what he looks like. Ha! But the father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son and he embraced him and he kissed him. Lost ones in the house this morning or when you're ministering to the lost out there, make sure they don't, make sure they know they don't have to clean themselves up before they come into the house of the Lord. Make sure they know they don't need to have the perfect stinking outfit. They don't need to have their hair and makeup right. They don't even need to have their teeth brushed. Just get them in the house of the Lord. Ha, I love it. It says that he ran to his son, dirty, sad, broken, and embraced him and kissed him. And the son declared, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The Bible says that joy broke out at the repentance and the return of the father's son. I want to tell you this morning that there is a good, good father, a compassionate, loving, kind father that is waiting on you to run and abandon all sin so he can put a finger or put a, not a finger on your ring, put a ring of authority. That's what that symbolizes. He wants to give you his authority that cloak, he wants to bless you. Those shoes, the preparation to go anywhere, to the valley, to the hills, to anoint your feet, to take ground for the glory of God. This is what he is waiting for his church to run to him so that he can run to, him, to them. Luke 15, 10 says, in the same way, I tell you that there is joy in the presence of God's angels over the one who repents. Church, redemption is waiting on your repentance. That's how easy it is. That's why the enemy says, oh, this is condemnation. No, he's waiting on just a sound of repentance that would begin to move the heavens to release redemption in and through your life. This form of repent means this to turn over or to turn upon or to turn unto. It is the word apistropho. And it is used to bring out more clearly the distinct change in wrought in repentance. It means this, that you would turn over and expose sin. This is wild. It means this, to wage war against sin and to fully turn to Jesus. 
So do you remember the opening scripture when Jesus said, I will war, I will wage war against the church that does not repent for her sin. This definition in the Greek literally means to wage war against sin. And guess who gets on your side, who comes onto your team to wage that war? Jesus, who already conquered death, who already conquered the grave, who already conquered it all. He conquered hell. He joins your side when you begin to confess and repent to wage war against that sin. Oh, can you imagine, can you imagine the shift in your life when you stop trying to defend your sin or your mistakes? That's what condemnation will allow you to do. It would allow you to begin to defend yourself, defend yourself to your spouse, defend yourself to your child, defend yourself to everybody to make excuses for why that was okay. And then you walk away with a knot in your stomach, with an anger inside of you because you know it's wrong. Repentance does the exact opposite. It comes and it, it comes to the prayer closet. It comes in humility to the pastor. It comes in humility to the spouse. And it says, I am waging war against this temptation. I am waging war against this sin. I am waging war against this addiction. No longer am I going to let my flesh rule me, but I am coming in unity with the spirit of God and waging war. Woo, can you imagine the power of a church that through repentance begins to wage war? Can you imagine what America would look like? See, this is a New Testament form of repentance that takes it further than to just grieve over sin, but it means to abandon sin. So literally some of us may have grieved over our sin and we get up and we're like, why did I just walk back into that? Why did I just continue to do the very things that I don't want to do? Sounds familiar. Paul and others pray this. Why do I continue to do the things I don't want to do? Hmm. This form of repentance means don't just grieve in it. But when you grieve in it, like the prodigal son, abandon your sinful lifestyle. Abandon it run from it, leave it in your past, and run into the arms of grace and mercy. Ha! Huh. See, this is personal reformation. This is personal reformation. And this what has to happen in the body of Christ before we bring reformation out there is we have to allow Jesus through repentance to make the crooked ways in us. It doesn't mean we're ever gonna be perfect, church. We will never be perfect. He is the only perfect one. But it means in humility, we can present a gospel to a world that says, I've bowed to. I've bowed to the ways of the world, but now I bow to Jesus in humility and repentance, and I'll bow with you now in repentance also. Ha, ah, repentance doesn't just prepare the way for you, for loved ones to have a clock. Okay. Repentance doesn't just prepare the way for you, for loved ones, for the lost to return to Jesus, but it also prepares the return of Jesus. Go with me into Matthew chapter 3, 1 through 12. This is the mission of John the Baptist. And the Bible says that he came preaching in the wilderness of Judea saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. 
he begins to declare where we took the definition of reformation out of a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths from every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low, the crooked way shall be made straight and the rough ways smooth and all humanity will see God's salvation. Recognize it does not say receive, it says see God's salvation. It says this, confessing their sins, they were baptized. Let's jump to verse eight. It says, produce fruit then in keeping with repentance, what I ministered on earlier. And then he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. See, John the Baptist was sent to bring the baptism of repentance because Jesus was coming. He was called to confront those who kept the lost from repentance to prepare the way of the Messiah. Why? Because he says, then the Messiah is coming and he's going to baptize you with fire which is the next level of repentance. Repentance is going to prepare you on that route of holiness by confessing, by being water baptized. He said, but then the next level is when the fire of God is going to come and baptize you. And this thing called a refining fire is going to begin to come and it's going to close in and it's going to begin to refine all of the things that you thought were okay because it wasn't the big sins. And this is the way that he's going to prepare the church to be a holy bride for his return. Oh, is by receiving the baptism of repentance and then receiving the baptism of fire. This is what I want to ask you this morning. If Revelation says there will be those that do not repent, I want to ask you, what is keeping you from repentance? You must know the enemy's ways against you. We're all not the same. The doors aren't the same in. The temptation rounds aren't the same in. What keeps you from repentance? Is it pride? Is it doubt? Is it ego? What is it? Is it hard times? Is it feeling sorry for yourself? What are the things that keep you from repentance? Because the church has to be aware of what keeps you from repentance. Or the enemy will have his way with you when you think you're good. Worship team, come up. Lord, show us. Lord, teach us your ways. Let's go back to our opening portion of scripture. Revelations 2, 4 through 5. When he says, you have abandoned the love you had at first. Isn't it incredible, the word of God, how he says, don't abandon me. And in another scripture, abandoned your sin. He gives us the ways. He teaches us how. He says, don't abandon the first love. Then he says this, remember, in the ESV version, remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Then he says this, repent, turn back to me. And then number three is reform. 
He said, do the works you did at first. Turn away from your sin and turn back to me. That's reform. So what he is literally saying in this scripture right here to an end time church, remember, repent, and reform. Hmm. See, this was the difference between Peter and Judas. Peter repents and Judas regrets. Regret is not repentance. Some of you have been bound in regret. I talk to Christians all the time that have been saved forever and they can't get over the mistakes that they've made. They haven't truly repented, they're regretting. Regret led Judas to take his own life, but repentance led Peter somewhere beautiful. Come with me. You know what, before I get into it, would everybody just find a place? Ah, I know this ground is hard. If you can kneel, kneel. If you cannot kneel, I understand the ground is hard. Would you just kind of bow over as far as you can? Where your your concentration is just fully on the Lord. There's no distractions around you. God is calling the church to repentance this morning. Prayed into this. I had a vision of a scent entering the room that brought us back and caused us to remember, caused us to encounter him through remembrance and brought us back to repentance. I would, when I closed my eyes, I, I saw this scent moving in the room that brought you back. And instantly I was reminded of a sermon that I preached a couple years ago at a Mark service called Marked for Justice. And it was about Peter. And in John 18, 18, just as I'm ministering, would you just close your eyes and concentrate on the Lord? Maybe on the cross. Maybe you just picture him on the cross and what he did for you right now. John 18, 18 says this. Right after Jesus was taken away, the disciples are scattered. It says, because it was cold, the servants and officers were standing around a charcoal fire that they had made to keep warm. And Peter was also standing with them, warming himself. Now here's the thing about a charcoal fire. A charcoal fire is very distinct. It's actually only used twice in the New Testament. A charcoal fire had a specific scent. Unlike any other fire. And as he is sitting at this fire, the firelight begins to expose Peter. Because the Bible says the light shining on his face, that the others around the fire begin to say, wait, aren't you one of his disciples? Aren't you a follower of Jesus? And this exposing of Peter in the firelight of a charcoal fire begins to, begins to move Peter to sin against God, to betray God. And he begins to declare, no, I never knew the man. I never knew him. This is beautiful for those of you that are beginning to enter into an encounter with the Lord. This is our Jesus. Luke 22 is the only gospel 
that mentions this. It says in verse 16, immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. (laughs) And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord. And he wept. He wept bitterly. Even though Jesus in this moment has been wounded, has been beaten, is sitting in a prison cell. As Peter denies him, as he betrays him in this final hour, the Bible says that the Lord turned. He turned towards Peter and looked at him. I believe it was a moment of intercession on Peter's behalf. Can you imagine the anguish of Peter? Some of you have thought this morning, the sins I have committed are far too great. I'm a mess up. I'm a screw up. I'm never going to fulfill the prophetic words, the visions. Why even dream? Why would God use me to do big things? I love this house. It has big dreams, but I'll leave the dreaming to mercy culture. Why would he want to use me to dream big dreams? See, Peter, the Bible says, went back to his old occupation. He went back to fishing. Can you imagine the guilt? Can you imagine the sorrow of Peter? That his final words about the Messiah before he is put on a cross and murdered is betraying him. So John 21 says, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, Look, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, the Bible says he put on his outer garment and he jumped into the sea. He begins to run to Jesus. He is the only disciple that jumps out of that boat and begins to run to Jesus. I imagine that other disciple that said, look, Peter, it's Jesus standing on the seashore knew Peter needed to see him, needed to meet him the most. And it says this in verse nine, when they landed, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and some bread. Can you imagine Peter in joy running up to Jesus and all of a sudden a scent hits him on the shore right before he gets to the arms of Jesus and all of a sudden he is taken back by the scent of that charcoal fire back to his worst moment, back to the worst sin he could have committed, betraying Jesus in an instant. He's taken back. Oh, but I can see Jesus standing in that fire so that the only thing that's not hitting Peter is the remembrance of his mistakes, is the remembrance of his sin, is the remembrance of his betrayal. But there's Jesus saying, I'm here and I'm going to go there with you. Peter, I'm going to redeem you. Peter, I'm going to heal you. And I believe this morning that same scent, that charcoal fire is in the room with Jesus, saying, let me take you back. 
Let me take you back to the worst moments that you swept under the carpet. The worst moments that you felt condemned by. The things you've wanted to forget. But Jesus says, no, we're going back together. And this morning, we're going to confess and repent for those sins. Yes, sorry,